Milwaukee's MX Fuel equipment system revolutionizes the light equipment market by delivering the performance and durability demanded by the trades. From the MX Fuel cutoff saw and MX Fuel sewer machine to the MX Fuel power supply and the MX Fuel tower light, MX Fuel has you covered without the hazards associated with emissions, noise, vibration, and the frustrations of petrol maintenance. MX Fuel, equipment system, equipment redefined. This episode is also brought to you by our friends at Rick's. Rick's is an Australian lifestyle brand founded with a mission to transform the eyewear industry by creating carefully crafted eyewear that inspires confidence. Everybody should be able to enjoy a touch of luxury and the confidence it brings. See the world differently today. Head online now at rickseyewear.com.au and check it out. Righto, let's get into the show. All right, well, uh, Chris Anstey on the podcast. Os American Aces, I think you'd be the tallest I've ever interviewed in person. I've done Bogut in Queensland, but in the van, I think you're the tallest. So yeah, welcome, it's a, mate. It's a tight little van, but it's it's a good job. It's a good setup. Yeah, I've got, got a little present today. I thought I'd, oh, here we thought go. I'd, uh, <laughs> I thought I'd rock the Dallas yeah, outfit good. today. What do you reckon? Yeah, I like it. Josh I like it. Anyway, so get, get right it's, into it's it It's a good choice. I was, uh, I was over there now. What a place, Dallas, Frisco. Did you where did you live I when you da- lived in Dallas? Lived ten minutes out of town, um, and I keep going back. It's it's my favorite city in 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 the United States. The the people are great. The food's great. The culture's great. It's um, yeah. Every now and again, you go to a place and you connect with some people, a small group of people, and they expand your world a little bit. And that's what Dallas was for me. I had this really good group of friends away from basketball when I got there, and that just unlocked Texas for me. I fell in love with it it's great they love sport as well don't they they do it's I mean they think that it was like everyone says they're the biggest <laughs> and they're the best and the Cowboys are a national institution and when I was there the Mavericks were terrible so we were clearly little brother um, but they've gone and changed that you know the, mm. the old teammate Dirk Nowitzki stayed for a long time and took that franchise with Steve Nash to a place that I don't think anyone when I was there would have ever seen it going to um, so, you know so I sit back and by then I'm been back here. I've gone to Russia. I'm sitting back watching them win NBA <laughs> yeah. championships. I think, geez, it's, it was surreal. So um, it's great to still get back. What they've done there is incredible. And as you say, that they love sport. But I'll tell you what, they're a little bit like, you know, the New York fans. If they're not going good, you know about it. Yeah. I know. They, uh, they're very passionate, which we love. Yeah. What's your thoughts on Kyrie Irving going there? I know I've heard a few podcasts. I always do my prep, so I'm not asking the same questions, right? But um, what I love about you is you're very honest, and you've got um, and you're a great mentor for Australian basketball, and you know the youth coming through. But you're very honest, and I love it because you just pretty much speak the way we want you to speak. You know, you're not hiding around anything. <laughs> you're not dancing around the edges. Um, but Kyrie's gone to Dallas, yeah, and they yeah. really went backwards when he got there. You've come out publicly and said, you know, Celtics. He went to the Nets. You know, he ruined those places. Yep. Do you think it was him that went there? Because they went downhill, and they were looking pretty good. When I was, I was in Dallas in I think late Jan, early Feb, and they were flying. Kyrie's very Kyrie centric. Um, yeah, what I, what the way the best analogy I could come up with because I love Dallas, I love the club. It's, it's almost like my daughter dating the wrong guy that I know is wrong. <laughs> you hope that no one gets hurt. You hope it doesn't last long, and you hope everyone gets out of it all right. Um, so I hope that it's short term. I don't think a long term culture with Kyrie Irving is a, a sustainably successful one. Um, but it's not just him. I think it's both sides. It, it intrigued me with what they gave up to get in such a highly volatile, high-risk asset. Mm. Um, 
you know, it, it's proven already in the short term to be unsuccessful, which yeah, I think at the very least they expected short-term success. And he was on a loan. He can go anywhere now. So whether they sign and trade him, whether he sticks around, I'm just not sure he's right for Luca. Um, between the two of them, they don't play defense too much. <laughs> um, there's talk about bringing in Dylan Brooks. If you go and do that, you're going to have oh, a wow. couple of guys with a superstar who aren't very widely liked. So it'll be fascinating to see what they do. I, I hope, like I said, it's it's like my daughter. If she was in a bad relationship with the wrong guy, I, I hope she gets out of it. I That's hope the, the Maver- one. I hope the Mavericks get out of it. Okay, I hope they get something in return. I hope they're happy when she when when Kyrie leaves. What would you do if you're GM? Oh, hire a better GM, probably. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I wouldn't have bought Kyrie in. Um, yeah, I think we saw around the, what the Nets have gone and done. They actually had a better core than maybe what they knew. And I look, the interesting one, and maybe the elephant in the room, is a little bit of Luca. You know, do you actually stick with Luca his whole career? Will, will he be the guy to deliver you a championship? Um, you know, will his body hold up? Are his training habits good enough? Uh, is he at the peak of his game now? Um, clearly, if you traded for Luca Doncic, you get something incredible in return. Now, do you take that chance in the short term at the risk of alienating your fan base? Um, yeah, there are a lot around who believe that, again, you, you look at Luca's body and you always, you know, AFL, any sport, your body doesn't lie. Mm. Um, so you, you want to make sure that Luca's looking after himself and he's going to have the sort of longevity that someone like Dirk Nowitzki had for the club if you're going to invest in him for his entire career. So I, I think bringing in Kyrie, I think there was a little bit more to that. And, you know, maybe there was a sense that if Kyrie worked, maybe Luca moves at some stage down the track or they have the ability to do that. But I certainly wouldn't think the Mavericks are in a better position now than what they were in January, mm-hmm. um, especially if Kyrie decides to walk away without a contract and they're left with a gaping hole when they got rid of Dinwiddie and yeah, all, uh, these guys all these other guys. Well, yeah. yeah, Well, that's it. They were there when I was when I was in town. They were, they were still on the list. I think the trade happened just after I left Dallas. Um, you know, you're very close with Dirk and Steve Nash. Dirk's very close with Luca. So, you know, I know you speak very highly of both, you know, Steve and Dirk. Dirk worked his ass off. Do you think just Dirk hanging out with uh, Luca a bit more might be able to get him yeah, in I, better shape? And I, I think you'll find that they don't hang out as much as what people oh, think. Right, as it's more much the media. as what people think. It's a, it's a bit of a media thing. They're both Euro. They're, you know, oh, they do a hug and everyone just blasts it. Yeah, exactly. And Dirk clearly was a part of the playing group in Luca's rookie year. And to have, I, I think in that aspect, to have that level of mentorship, wearing the same uniform and for the large part of the year actually being injured. So having the ability to spend time uh, would have been a really positive influence in Luca's rookie year. But it's like when you walk away from the club, the last thing you want to do is step back and impose yourself on the coaching group. And Mm -hmm. I think someone with as big a personality as Dirk, you know, wants to make sure that he's not stepping on toes, especially because he's a really good human being. So if he was ever asked to help in that space, I'm sure he would but it's not something that you volunteer and say, how, how I can do this better than what your current coaching group is. So Cuban should get in contact though. You, you reckon I that? Mean, look, they stay in contact. It's um, you know, maybe. I mean, I, I, one thing that it's interesting, one thing that AFL does incredibly well, the NBA, well, the Mavericks do incredibly well is they're, you know, they're, they're retired players, coaches, uh, staff, even they, they're always welcome back. Um, you know, the legacy players who are invited back to the club, whether it's in a coterie capacity, whether it's just at the game physically, it's one thing 
that most Victorian basketball players, myself included, we crave that. Yeah, not one team that I played for exists anymore. And you've got so many legends of the game of basketball here in Victoria that don't have a home base. Mm. So I've said to people before, Dallas for me treats me better. And I was there for a minute than any NBL team I ever played for because they don't exist anymore. Yeah. So if I was actually to say, where's your home club? It's actually Dallas, which sounds stupid because I was a beep on their radar. But the Tigers don't exist. The Titans don't exist. The Magic don't exist. Yeah, it's not Russia. Yeah. I was only I was at the Bulls for a shorter <laughs> period of time. I'm a sort of a basketball nomad. Um, so going back there and the level in which they keep in touch, you can imagine that on steroids for Dirk. Yeah, they're, they're oh, going to yeah. want him around. Yeah. And he lives in Dallas now. So, um, yeah, no, look, it's the, the Mavericks do a really good job of keeping him involved, but at what level? Yeah. Nah, it's well said. And I didn't, I didn't think of that. I didn't think about that because I was a Tigers man growing up and – like I said, Bradley Sheridan used to play with you at the Titans. He, he did. Yeah, Rowdy. My father's did, couldn't get many, did you hear? Yeah, Rowdy's, and a lot of people may not have heard of Brad Sheridan. His nickname was Rowdy. He just didn't speak. Yeah, the opposite. <laughs> when, he, when, he, when he went up to the uh, up to the Sydney Kings, he got married. Um, and I wasn't at the wedding, but by all reports, his, his, his wedding speech as a groom was, a lot of you probably know I'm a man of few words, so I'm not going to say anything. Thanks for coming. <laughs> and they all thought he was joking, and he got down and- he went off and everyone was like, that's it. <laughs> yeah. And on, from all reports, that was how little Brad Sheridan spoke, but it sits consistently with what he was like with us in the basketball club. <laughs> he used to hit a mean three. Like I thought when I used to watch him as a kid, um, we used to love it and he just good defender, but just used to sit in the corner and just never miss. He only had a few shots a game, but yeah, it was good to watch. He was your perfect complimentary player, especially when he was young. So many young players like that or at his age want to come in and prove that they're better than the role that they're given he was never that he was such a, a complimentary player and even from a culture point of view because guys like me who by the end of my career talked a lot or Tony Ronaldson or those sort of guys he just didn't speak so your voice was heard and then he he was incredible at doing exactly what Gorgian said or what the coach or what the, what his teammates asked of him and yeah invaluable so, so much so that when the Titans folded and Gorge ended up in Sydney he was one of the first people that he made sure came up with him mm. which probably surprised a few people but they then went and won three. their three championships yeah. in a row I think he I'm not sure he was a part of all three he might have been I think he was um, yeah Again, just a really integral part and probably someone in the basketball world that's not spoken about nah, enough. Nah, no, nah, I don't think I've – I mean, I've spoken to Bogut when he was on here. And he right, said he's the same not speaking thing. about us. He's not speaking about We're okay, yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny because uh, there's a few Sheridans out there, including myself, and we're the complete opposite. There you go. <laughs> so I love the nickname Rowdy. For anyone out there, like, that's a great one for a bloke that doesn't talk, yeah, Rowdy. True. Yeah, that, that was him. But no, I haven't <laughs> seen him in a long time, and I'm, I'm assuming he's not picking up the phone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's hard to communicate I, on I the phone. Say, we have a Christmas party every year, like the big – Sheridan Christmas party. Right. Um, yeah, I haven't seen the last couple of years, and because right. I was in Perth, I used to miss them because always early December we'd be training. So uh, hopefully I see Rowdy and we can have a chat. Say good day for me. See what he's been up to. <laughs> um, I want to touch about. I want to touch on this big event that's coming up because yes. um, it's really important, and you know it's brought to you. This is for everyone out there, the Oz American Aces community. You might not be aware, but Maxfield and yourself are presenting the All American events, the NBA Finals Game One Party. Um, and this one is you doing your best work. You've brought out, you know, obviously Giddy's in town at the moment and um, your mate Dirk was here for the Aussie Open, but you're bringing Luke Longley, three-time NBA championship winner, uh, obviously at the Bulls, 
uh, to Melbourne and for everyone out there that wants to get involved. It's the package includes includes watching the game live on the big screens uh, whilst enjoying gourmet US style canapes, premium all American draft, wine, soft drinks. The atmosphere, no doubt, will be electric. Is that right? You're doing a great job with this. <laughs> you get to meet and greet some great legends like yourself. Luke Longley will share some old tales uh, with everyone there talking about Michael Jordan, no doubt, who's arguably one of the greatest. Uh, but there's locked, lots of activations, uh, including NBA merchandise, NBA art, memorabilia, NBA jam, and more. This will be the hottest ticket in Melbourne around the time. So if you want to get a ticket, they're available for $99. The team at Maxfield are also giving away a special discount to everyone listening. So if you go online at tickstar.com.au and use the discount code ACES, you'll get a cheeky 10% off. Talk to me about this event. How long do you do this every year? I haven't. This is the first time I've worked with Maxfield, but... Yeah, you know, it's interesting. In COVID, I stopped doing a lot of things that I was doing that have taken up a lot of time and sort of committed to creating these experiences, you know, whether it be in the United States or here. And we convinced Josh Giddy to come and chat when – I guess we knew how special he was a long time before the public did. So we'd actually organised a, a pre-draft event that we'd had him pre-draft and he was going to chat and we, we had 50 or 60 mm-hmm. people. We'd done a night with Andrew Gaze and Leonard Copeland, which was a lot of fun and – COVID hit and Josh, Josh's agent gave him good advice to say, don't go and put yourself in a room of 60 people before the draft, look after yourself. So we, we canceled it, but yeah, we all know what he did in his rookie year. He blew up and he agreed to still do it after that rookie year, which was incredible. And we, you know, we traveled around Australia. We told his story and people loved it. It was, it was a really great event. And I guess with our personal relationship with, with Josh and his mum and his dad through the Tigers, I guess they trusted us to, to look after Josh. Um, so we did that and Luke Longley came, a one, came along to one of the nights and we convinced him somehow to speak publicly for the first time. And we traveled him around to seven sites in Australia and he told his story and it was incredible. Luke's an incredible storyteller. Um, that went on and we got Dirk down to Australia and, and he did the same thing. So we've been creating these really fantastic experiences. But when Luke was in town, we were still reasonably new and there were so many people. The only criticism we have was I, I, we didn't know about it or we would have been there. So yeah. I guess this is another one where we're bringing him back. It makes perfect sense to to do it around the NBA finals. Is you know, That's where he is probably as successful as any Australian basketball player in the history of the game. He, he was a part of the most successful NBA team in the history of basketball. So we've got Luke coming along the game, one of the NBA finals. You've described everything. It's it's more an experience than just going to a sports bar and watching the game. Yeah. Well, don't get me wrong, I love doing that. <laughs> but but for game one, this is the one we know the date's locked in. It'll be special. There'll be plenty of fun people in the room. There'll be plenty to do. Um, it's going to be a fun morning. And for those of you who know Luke or have wanted to hear him speak, he's going to have plenty of time behind the microphone. He's he's insightful. He's funny. You, you get a, a peek behind the curtain at some of those championship years with the NBA and with Michael Jordan and... No, look, come along. It'll be fun. I'm not going to sell it any more than that, but we know that the people who've come to the other events come along to all of them because they sort of trust what we're doing now, which is probably the, the best tick of approval we can get. So we'd love to meet some new people. We'd love to share what we do with you. And that's it. And that's why we're here, the American Aces. We want to pump it up. Um, so get online. I'll put this in the show notes as well. So if you couldn't understand what I was saying there, they'll be all in the show notes. So hit the link. Um and you have some superstars in the room. And Luke would have, I mean, I can only imagine the stories that he would have. He's a, he lives he lives a very quiet, private life. Um, I actually know his brother really well, Griffin. Right. I did a lot of charity work with him in Perth. We did a night hoops program and 
Um, and I know that he, he doesn't do, I've asked him, do you want to do the podcast? And he's not a man that doesn't like the media. When I say doesn't like it, he'll do it, but he'll do it properly. So I'd imagine that he's probably had, I don't know how long since the last dance. I know he did his little ABC doco, but he's probably had two or three years just building up for your event. So I'd he's, imagine he'd be ready to go. He's done a couple. I think he is. And I, you know what, even in chatting to him over a beer after one of the shows, I think he's come to the realization that he's done too much in basketball to not have a voice in matters that are important to him, whether that's fracking of the Kimberley is one of the ones that I know he's looking out for, marine conservation, those kinds of things. I think he wants to have a bigger voice and an ability to do something positive. So just getting on stage and sharing his story and then tying those issues in, I think, I think is, is going to be important for him. I don't think you'd mind me saying that, but um, look, he, he was incredible. Some of the stories he shared were were fantastic. I won't give them all away. But we had a lot of fun and it's one of the great things about these events is as much as you know that, you know, Luke was a teammate of mine. I coached, coached Josh for a minute. Dirk was a teammate of mine, but you kind of flip between a professional relationship and then you go back to being mates. But you realize that there, that there are so many years you just haven't seen each other and the catch-ups are a lot of fun. So it's the most fun job I've had in a long time yeah. is catching up with old teammates and old mates and, telling our stories in front of hundreds and hundreds of people and having a beer after the show and it's, yeah, brilliant, it's fun. It, it is fun. And it's what everyone wants to hear, you know, like the, the untold stories, but just a bit of the banter as well. And then you can kind of get a gauge on what the crowd wants. Um, I love what you're doing, mate. Have you got anyone who's after Luke and you, oh, look, Steve Nash would have to be a chance, wouldn't yeah, he? Of course. Um, look, one thing I've learned is, I sort of play my cards a little bit closer to my chest. Now there's a few others in the space who scalping, yeah, a little bit. I, I, you know, I, one thing I, I'm absolutely committed to is to doing it for the with the right intent. You know, I love people who can tell stories. I actually don't care how good a basketball player you are. Yeah. I, I want someone who's got a really fascinating story that, and, and it's a generic cliches, and they're still written on the board at home. Impact, inspire, educate, and create humor. If you can't give me three, or can't give the crowd three or four of them, you know, there are some NBA guys and some agents who've called and offered some really high profile players but they can't speak and they, yeah. and they can't share a message and they can't provide takeaways. And I, I think there's more than just getting in a room and saying, I played this game and I won by this many points. I think we want to dig a little bit deeper than that. So clearly Steve is one of them. And I don't think you have to be a rocket scientist to figure out that I've already chatted to Steve and he's now seen Josh and Dirk and Luke and we're in conversation when it is, I don't know, you know, he could have a job pop up at any stage. So it's a little bit fluid, but absolutely my, absolute intent is to get Steve Nash to Australia when we can. Mate, I love what you're doing. You're, um, you know, you're, you and a lot of other people in this, in this country are really putting Australia on the map. And it's no doubt, it's no, um, surprise that all the hard work that blokes like you and Gazy, I think of when I was younger and even DMAC when I used to go to the top, like these blokes, um, there's plenty more, obviously Bogut coming through as well. But now we look at our boomer squad that's out for the world cup. Yeah, okay. I'm going to get it up right now, but like, are you looking at that going, and this is with no disrespect, but is it one of the best squads we've had for a while or maybe the most well-rounded on paper? Yeah. On paper. Yeah. Um, but as you're very aware, the game's not played on exactly paper. Exactly right. Um, yeah, well, we actually sat down. I, I actually run my own little podcast with Mark Worthington, and one of the things we'll chat about in the next one is that boomer squad and who we think might make it. And you look at it, geez, there's going to be some really, really good players miss out. And if you look at what we're able to do historically in Tokyo and win that bronze medal, uh, 
two years ago, I suppose, I think the team, again, on paper, becomes better. Um, I think what happens is you probably, you know, Giddy comes in for Dalavidova, I think. Um, Dyson Daniels may come in for Chris Golding. Um, uh, Aaron Baines goes out and I think Ben Simmons actually comes in. I, I think they'll give him every opportunity to come in. I think he'll find a space, which an interesting conversation around Ben Simmons is that I don't think you can have him and Xavier Cooks on the same team. So the safe, the the, the one where you know exactly what you're going to get with work rate, you get a great human being, you get someone who's proven over the last two or three years here domestically and did okay when he got across to the NBA in Xavier. If Ben Simmons is available, it's the same kind of player, but Ben's ceiling is so high still. And if there's anyone who can unlock that, I think it's Gorge. Joshy Green's obviously on me. Josh Green was there already. Jock Landale's playing better than what he was. Paddy Mills stays in. Do up Reith, Jack White, Joe Ingles, Josh Green. Uh, I think Dante's, Dante Exum's playing better than what he was uh, when we had when we got the Olympics last Will time. Will he be healthy? He just got suplexed into the, into See, the service. That's, <laughs> a, that's a whole other story. Nick Kay's probably a lock, but... Um, and I think one of the really unlucky ones will be Will McDowell-White. I think he's closer than what people think. But that whole Dante thing, I'd, you know, I'd be fascinated in your opinion being around AFL because I've sat in rooms and you've sat in rooms with the class action, with the head knocks and the concussions and how AFL's treated it. And I, I won't go into who or what, but, you know, I was with an old player and he was having a conversation about how he's a part of the class action and what the AFL have done wrong. And yet he then went on, to talk about how good a mate he now is with the guy who knocked him out three times. And so I sit there thinking, and, and this is where it ties into Dante, what stage in a non-footy or a non-basketball act is the, op- is the other player actually liable instead of the league itself? You know, there's got to be a responsibility in a non-sporting act. If you can't do that, sure, if it's a football act and you're trying to spoil all those kinds of things, don't ever take that away. If you're behind the play and you, and you imagine if Dante's head hit the floor. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. You, you literally grabbed him from behind when you're standing there, flipped him over his hip. Imagine his head smashes on the floor. He doesn't play again. I'm suing. Yeah. Like, that's almost a criminal act and if that, there's a major injury attached to it. And they're suing the um, league, isn't it? Not the actual player. Right. So, and, that, and that, that's where I think that at some level there's got to be accountability for the player who, I mean, I know it's a field of it's a sporting court or a field, but if you can't do that in the street, mm. you know, well, yeah, you can't be doing. And it, 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 it was ridiculous what I saw. Yeah. It's actually assault, which is what Dante's could have been, or what some of the behind the play hits could have been. Then I, I just think there's got to be a little bit more responsibility that goes to the the player who infringes or injures. The league still has some with the way they cater for it, but. I'm re- I guess coming back, I'm really, really glad Dante's okay because that could have been a lot worse. And for those that didn't see the Dante, spe- what, what, it was like a suplex. It was like a wrestling move that's exactly almost dangerous. Like you'd almost, they'd almost roll them over a bit more. It could it have been yeah. an exaggerated version of what we know a sling tackle to be, except it was on wood. Wood, yeah. So, I mean, you imagine that. And, if, and is he fine? Well, he, I believe he broke his toe or fractured his toe, so he played last game. But he's, I, I, from what I understand, he's fine, but he's also lucky. Yeah, very lucky. Yeah, that was crazy. I, I remember seeing that, and I watched it like eight times. I was trying to work out where all this happened because of the big scuffle and what he did wrong. why he even did it, you he know? He was just watching. He was just a bystander. Um, yeah, crazy, mate, crazy. With that, I mean, Jock Landau's one that we, we caught up in uh, Arizona, and I've just kind of watched 
what I, so when I went there, I messaged him, hey, mate, we called up for a day. What, what, a, what a ripping fella he is. Um, and then not only that, the, the luck, just like, you know, not luck. I think he lost a few teammates, you know, Bridges was one of them and Johnson. I actually met him after the game. I think he left the next week. But in comes Durant. Obviously, Book's back in town. Now they're playing finals. They'll probably be playing while we're talking in about a couple of hours. But um, how well he's going at the moment. He, I think it was game three or four there where they, they must win and Aiton goes down with four fouls and he comes in. Do you have a lot of, um, you know, do you have a lot of chats with Jock? I haven't spoken to Jock, but have really admired what he's done from afar. I, I, I don't think you'd be saying anything that people didn't already know. When he came into the league, he wasn't the most athletic big. He doesn't play above the rim. He's more a positional defender and a perimeter threat. He's evolved all of those areas that he needed to um, and really understands now what his role is. And you know, one of the, it's not the be-all and end-all statistical category, but you know, DeAndre Ayton played 33, 35 minutes a game, game one and two. And as you said, he little bit of trouble game three every game that jocks played game three game four game five when he's been on the floor the team's in the positive so but significantly yeah and his numbers are, are creeping up to be similar to uh similar to deandre ayton but the team succeeds when he's on the floor and that's the bigger one you know you can, it's easy to point to individual but he fits in with he doesn't need the ball in his hands he doesn't take up space he He's very, very active defensively and plays defense early, which is something Aiton doesn't do. He'll go and meet Nikola Jokic at the three-point line and get into a wrestle with him and you know, just take little tiny nicks out of him from quarter one, quarter two, so that halfway, yeah, you know, by the time you hit the fourth, we always got bought up you know, with Gorgian. We can overrun him in the fourth if we've little jab punches the whole game sort of thing. The fatigue and, kicks in. Right. So we, we're not going to win the game in the first quarter, but we can impact the fourth. And I think that's what he does really well. Mm. Um, if, if And he hasn't shot the ball well yet. If, if he can, even in this offseason, he won't do it in the playoffs, but he can certainly go to another level if he's willing to play that level of defense and then can add that consistent three-point shot, especially with Durant and Booker. You don't need a guy who can make plays. You need a guy who can finish plays and defend, and that's hopefully what he'll become next year, even more so than what he's doing now. Yeah, spot on. And even just watching him, I've I, I watched closely, just watching, I think, you know, all the Aussies, but he just, he's aggressive. He sets a real aggressive screen on offense. He's always, as you said, charges down the court. Um, he scraps and fights, steals, you know, intercepts. He's, I just, I like the way, you know, I admire the way he's going about it and, um yeah, really compliments the two superstars well, like you said. I just don't understand why everyone doesn't. Yeah, it's amazing. The more you pay someone, the less they work in the NBA mm. oftentimes. But you always know the guys who feel there's a bit of pressure to stay in the league because they're the ones who do exactly what you've just described. And when the playoffs roll around, you'll find the others do the same thing. But, geez, it's – if you're standing out for effort, you, you, you probably – it's as much about you as it is – potentially your teammates who clearly aren't at the level that they yep. need to be. Yeah, well said. Let's talk about Ben Simmons. Oh, here we go. All right. <laughs> I know, because I like, I like keeping it real. We all want, I mean, the first question I'll ask is going to lead in. You want to see him do well, don't you? I do. Okay, that's why I wanted to ask that. What's your advice to Ben? Wouldn't have it. I, I, I don't, you know what, it's such, a, it's such a weak answer, but I've learned over the years that you never even pretend to offer advice to somebody who doesn't want it. And... I think Ben has to get to a stage where he seeks out advice from someone that he's going to listen to. So it's not even necessarily the advice, it's who you take it from. And, you know, the, 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 one, the one conversation I've had 
with regard to, to skill development and the person I've seen it do it best, if you looked at Ben's skill set, I don't think anyone in the world would argue that he's a horrendous shooter of the basketball. When Mitch Creek started in the NBL, we quite literally used to look at him at the three-point line, turn our back and know that he wasn't going to make a three. And in speaking to him in the last couple of years, that actually affected him mentally because that he just highlighted the fact that he was a poor shooter. So what Mitch Creek has been able to do in developing his jump shot, because he's not a naturally gifted shooter, to become a knockdown three-point shooter and a very consistent, even contested three-point shooter now, I don't think you need a naturally gifted guy working with Ben. I think you need Mitch Creek, someone who has actually gone through the process that Ben needs to go through to build what's not a natural jump shot. And I, I guess it's not advice, but I hope that somehow they get together. Yeah, it sounds like it's not going to be in the boomers because Mitch Creek's on the outer of the boomers for whatever reason, but that's been the one that in the back of my mind was always fascinating. I'd love to see those two get together. Yeah, I like that. A little bit of play. To, and that, do, they play up, do they play together growing up? Don't know. I don't think so. Don't but, think so. but they've both got a little bit of... Yeah, we can't... Yeah, no, sh- yeah, yeah. A little, bit, little rough around the edges. And they've got a few things that go on away from basketball. But yeah, I, I think they'd probably get each other. Yeah. Yeah, well said. And is he stiff not to be in that Boomer squad? Just thinking about that? I think that? so. I do. That's what I was just thinking. I do. Um... Yeah, you know, it's always interesting how much say do you give the players, how much do you give the coaches, how much do you give Basketball Australia, and without backing up over it, I think a decision was made a few years ago with a few things, and I'm big on second chances, I'm big on understanding why if certain things happen, and um, I would certainly have had Mitch Creek in the squad, even if not for the World Cup, mm. certainly for all of the lead-up games and the, the, the smaller nations that we've played over the year and a bit leading up. You know, he's been one of Australia's best basketball players for the last four or five years now and I don't think he's pulled on a boomer's jersey yeah well there you go um, let's go back to you I'm, I'm really fascinated about your playing career NBA stands out I guess it's because NBL's you know next door um, and we'll talk about NBL in a minute but NBA you played with and against some massive names like massive names you went through that NBA lockout which is you've spoken about how you know unique that was but just some some stories, any any crackers from Dallas that may not have been, you know, obviously Oz American Aces might not have heard yet if they haven't, you know, it's just some crackers. I mean, it's the ones I'll always talk about it, and I won't bore you with them now, but getting to know Steve and Dirk and understanding that they weren't incredible basketball players when they walked in the door and their work rate. So I won't bore you with work rate stories, but they're the two guys I respect more than anyone in the NBA for what they were able to become um, almost from where they came from. Um, but I think, I mean, the highlight has to be, and everyone that I've spoken who's heard the story, you get one chance to play Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls and we win. And yeah, you end up not playing him. I didn't play a minute the first half and I'm looking up in the stands and I've got family and friends who've flown halfway around the world and Longley's injured. So I don't even get to play against him and I'd been starting. And so I, I just knew it was a once in a lifetime opportunity and one of the, I'll never forget my thought at halftime, and I'm normally I'm the guy that listens to every word the coach says, but all I'm trying to figure out back then, because I only played tennis four years before that, but well, my mates aren't going to believe I've done this because yeah. there's, there's no NBA.com, there's no, no live coverage, media, no yeah. social media. So I needed a photo with Michael <laughs> Jordan. And I, at halftime, I decided that if I get in in garbage time, I'm going to, as soon as he gets the ball, I'm going to foul him so hard he starts a fight because <laughs> someone yeah. will take a photo of that. But I got in early in the third and that plan went out the window and we started coming back and um, 
you know, it's funny. I'd, I hadn't touched the ball in a couple of minutes and it's funny what you remember, but I got fouled going up for a dunk. And when you're lined up for goal and when I'm shooting free throws, every coach will tell you, stick to your routine, go through your process, block out everything around you. And this idiot right here, like as I walk from under the basket to the free throw line, my head's on a swivel. Michael Jordan, Scotty Pippen, Steve Kerr, Dennis Rodman, you know, Phil Jackson, Luke Longley. Um, I'm thinking, what am I doing on this court? I mean, I, I honestly <laughs> felt like I didn't belong on the court and um, shot two of the worst free throws I've ever shot <laughs> just to get off the free throw line. As soon as I did, I thought, well, that's me done. I've had my two minutes. I'm out. <laughs> and you, you know, you have these moments of clarity every now and again that oh, you'll just always remember thinking it. And I just thought, well, I'm, if I'm getting yanked, I might as well have some fun while I'm still out here. And I'll say to any young kid or even any adult, I said, I stopped caring what people thought because we get so caught up in what other people think, we forget to just be us. And I thought, I'm just going to have fun for 30 seconds until I get subbed out. Got a rebound, made a pass, started getting involved, never came out. Came out early in the fourth, went straight back in, and we ended up coming back, getting overtime and winning the game. And, you know, over time, I, you know, it's funny, I had a dunk. I, I say I dunked on Scotty Pippen. I dunked near Scotty Pippen. I made a jump shot, but I had a contested rebound against Dennis Rodman, which might have been the biggest highlight. Um, he had 20, I had four. But, um, <laughs> yeah, the, the whole the whole Dumb and Dumber theory that, you know, the line at the end of Dumb and Dumber where, you know, Lloyd Christmas says to Mary Swanson, what's the chances of a guy like you ending up with a girl like me? Give it, you know, one in a hundred, one in a thousand. She says more like one in a million. And, you know, he says, so you're telling me there's a chance. That was... That was my Chicago Bulls game. Like, what's the chances of a 17-year-old tennis player four years later going and beating Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls, 100, 100, probably one in a million. But I always say that if the one exists, it must be possible. And if it's possible, why can't it be the first time? I I think so often people approach tasks, games, sporting events with a foregone conclusion in their head and don't allow themselves the opportunity to explore what's possible. Um, So that game for me became... Exactly that, that you just never know. Um, crazy things happen, but you've got to put yourself on the court or put yourself in the room or whatever it is and be present. Um, you know, I'll tell anyone I've never lost a game to Michael Jordan in the Chicago Bulls. <laughs> there's, there's only 20-something people in the world, I believe, who've never lost a game, and I'm one of them. That's so um, good. And he's not calling me for a rematch. So <laughs> yeah, I, I, think yeah. I'm, I think I'm set. You've got him done, um, mate. But no, look, it's, it's amazing what you learn – after the event, and I'd love to tell you my, my my thinking was that clear in the time. It wasn't, but I've learned so much from that game. It's just clearly it's still a story I tell and one that I can just pick so many lessons out of and more, probably more importantly apply them to different situations, even with the event stuff, and you, know, you just want to do things right. Well, even when I – um. As we do, and I appreciate all the aces listening and they get on the social media, our Instagram account. We always put up a photo of our guest if we have time. And I went on Google and you and Rodman like in each other's yeah, face. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, I just that, saw that is a, that is, it's a blurry photo, but it's almost like a vintage um, photo. It's a, you it's know what, a, I'm not going to lie. I, I reckon I pressed pause and put it up there. I reckon <laughs> I, I reckon I took a <laughs> Well, we need to get some room. No, it's funny because I had to do something and I- I remember sitting in the lounge room one time. I actually, I wrote a story about it for my book. And I, I don't have any photos. So I never got my photo of Michael Jordan, but I had the win. I've Can got you the get story. that off the f- I, video? Well, that's what, it, that's what the Rodman one is. I literally, quite literally had a DVD <laughs> and I pressed pause every time I'm not taking photos of the screen <laughs> yeah. because I needed something to go along with this story a few years back and somehow it found its way online. And uh, that's the only one. And 
you know, I was sitting at home one day and a guy who owns a T-shirt company said something's come in the mail. He made a T-shirt of it. Oh, yeah. So they Which is cool. And so the family's got a few and I feel like an idiot if I ever put it on. So I kind of <laughs> wear it around the house. But um, no, it became one of those moments. So it, like even with Dallas was the rookie standing up to Rodman. It's sort of, Iconics are really poorly, it's not the right term, but it became representative of that game that we didn't back down. And that was something that was really cool because, I mean, I was a rookie in Dallas. I didn't know a thing and I was still trying to prove that I belonged. And to have that moment was a really nice one for a few weeks. Our season was done. They were on their way to their sixth championship, but that one moment in time was great. Yeah. No, it's a special moment and it's a special photo, mate. I, uh, well, Braden is the best in the world at getting these uh, clips. So hopefully, he'll be able to get the okay. clip up while you're yeah, talking yeah, about good, the, okay. uh, the... Well, so just in that incident, did you rip a rebound down and get oh, in we, we Rodman's fumbled, face? We fumbled around. Steve Kerr missed a three. It bounced around. And I, somehow I got it and I... I you, funny, Brian Gorgian said when I got to the NBA, don't try to be an NBA player. Do what you do. Don't try to prove that you're better than what you are and... Every young big gets told to chin it when they get a rebound to protect the ball. So I did exactly that. And I kind of felt Rodman slapping him on my, at my waist. And he was, I learned more from playing against him without him taking a shot. It was like a masterclass in understanding positioning away from the basket. Anyway, so I finally got a rebound. It just happened to be in overtime. And he's hitting me on the, on, you know, inside the ribs. And so I felt him and I had my, I had the ball by my chin or under my chin and I pivoted. I knew exactly where he was and, could have absolutely cleaned him up, but I reckon I stopped about a centimetre before his face. And I just laughed. He was, I can't tell you what he said, but he was yapping. And I started, I can't tell you what I said either, but it was something along the lines of how stupid do you think I'm going to follow through? I'm not going to give you the game. And, da, da, da. and we both got tech fouls and I shit myself. I'm like, oh no, everything I've just said is wrong. And I thought I got the tech foul because I was a rookie. And I thought they'd given me one for swinging my elbow, although I didn't touch him. I thought, oh no, we're, we're four or six up against the Bulls and I've just given them, it's our ball and yeah. I've gone and given them two shots and possession. I thought, oh no. They called a double tech and we got the ball and I think I turned it over. Um, <laughs> but um, no, nah, th that was it. It was just one of those ones that ended up in my hands. I wasn't stronger than him. I was just lucky to be in the right spot and... Again, it was a moment that you put yourself in the room oh. or put yourself in the court, right? Were you looking at Jordan's shoes when you were playing him? <laughs> no, I wasn't. But it's... I was looking, before I got into the game, you, I walked out quicker than I got on the court earlier than I'd ever been there. Had my Maverick, my, my full white Mavericks uniform. You look down the other end of the court and you get used to playing, it sounds, you get used to playing guys like Shaq and Hakeem and Tim Duncan and Dave Robinson and these guys, but Jordan's just different. It's just a whole nother level. Um, you look down and you think, shit, that's real. That's actually Michael Jordan. And he's warming up and he's got a, an army of rebounders around him and there's seven or eight security around the outside of the court to make sure that no one gets near him. And even turning up to the game was different. The traffic was, it was like the Beatles had come to town, the roadblocks just because they wanted a glimpse of the bus. Even how, cool, how cool is that? Oh, it's incredible. It's so, so to play was incredible, but you look and it's funny what you see. You kind of find yourself in the free throw line, look, like boxing him out and you're looking down at your feet. And it's interesting. One of the things I'd back early, early, I was courtside watching Sean Kemp play in the Seattle Supersonics. And I'm not used to that level of athleticism in the NBA. And I, he was on the weeks and I saw his calves twitching. I don't know why I was looking at his legs, <laughs> but, he, but he was literally a, a meter and a half in front of me. And I thought, it just looks like he's relaxed and he's half asleep on the other side of the floor. 
and whoever it was threw a skip pass and you've never seen someone take off more quickly and go and do this incredible dunk down the other. But that's what, it's, he's like a racehorse, like just those fast twitch fibers. He's standing at the free throw line and his calves are twitching. Yeah. Like he looks like he's relaxed, but he's ready to go. J- just little tiny things like that that are probably more memorable than looking him in the eye and going, hi, Mike. You know, it, um, no, it was, it was special. Was he one of the fittest you'd seen on the basketball court? He looked like it. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I assume, and you hear the stories about how hard he trained and winning sprints and not wanting to go home until his team won. But yeah, we had a guy named Michael Finley, who I think is one of the most underrated NBA stars of all time, that he was incredible. He was a Michael Jordan type athlete, you know, clearly a rung below, but he was incredible. Um, he literally put the Dallas Mavericks on his shoulders and allowed Steve and Dirk to be successful. And he was the guy until he wasn't and was never, you know, he was never resentful of Dirk and Steve of of their growth and was never mindful of becoming the third string guy. And they they became the big three in Dallas until Finn went on and played in, in San Antonio. But he's still involved in the club. Dirk's still around the periphery. Steve's moved on. But um, fittest, I don't know, I'd... I'd I guess you always revert back to the people you spend time around and Michael Finley for me was incredible in that space. Yeah. Well said. When you went to Dallas, uh, when you went to, from Dallas to the Bulls, that was the end of the era, wasn't it? In it terms was, of yeah. like they got rid of- yeah, Everyone with any ability had left, yeah. Um, Why'd they do that? In your, like, I don't know. I, look, I, they just tore it up. Was Luke gone as well? Luke was gone so as all well. all their starters had left. We Yeah, we had you know the remaining, Dickie Simpkins, Will Perdue, uh, we drafted Elton Brand and Ron Artest. Ron yeah, Artest, yeah, we'll talk about him in a second. Yeah, Hersey Hawkins were there. They brought him back. Fred Hoiberg, yeah, we we did. Randy Brown was a remaining player. He was fantastic, but it was one of those interesting situations where it wasn't a rebuild, it was a demolition. Yeah, it wasn't. Um, but everyone, myself included, I think, we were never going to win games because everyone was trying to prove that we deserved a bigger role than what we had and we just weren't rowing in the same direction. And so I was only there, all you know, real terms, probably seven months and stayed in a little two-bedroom apartment and the season was done. I was out of there to get ready for the Olympic Games. I never went back. Yeah. Um, so my time in Chicago was brief, but just walking into the practice facility, Working with the guys who worked with that that team was fantastic. But um, now, look, Ron and Elton, they were, you know, you mentioned Ron Artest. He, it's funny now that I used to tell some stories about him and the more you know about mental health, you understand a bit more and there's probably a reason. So he was someone, because he was so frustrating, like, God, can you just, what, what do you and the questions in your mind are why is it now you're actually wondering why? So clearly he's had a few things go on in his life. He had a tough upbringing and there were probably reasons that he acted out um, to an extreme sense after I played with him, of course. But you know, one of the ones I always remember is he went and bought a monster truck at his first car and couldn't get to the game because it took up two lanes. He couldn't get into the practice facility. He was missed the game. He just, he just wasn't thinking. Um, but, yeah. Just on that, because I heard you tell that one before. Like, give people an insight on it, because he was pumping. The story so, goes. So he's pumping up the. He was pumping. Uh, uh, he's getting his license, getting his first car. He's only wouldn't, young, one. Yeah, rookie. wouldn't tell anyone what it was. He hadn't had the need for a car in New York because you don't have a car in in New York City. Um, so he talked up this car and you're getting his license and picking up his car and we saw him walking into the training facility. And it's a gated community, so from outside the gate and 
I wasn't the closest with him, but the the vets on the terrace. What, what what are you doing? I thought you were getting the car. I thought you had your license. Yeah, yeah, I did. And he's kind of really sheepish, and he again he bought a monster truck and had to park it a block and a half away and walk. <laughs> so it didn't it didn't it didn't fit in through the boom gates. Then we had a game where there was the next day or the day after, and the coach was like, "Where's Ron? Where's Ron?" And it was a solid forty-five minute drive from where we lived to the game. Our practice facility was out in the suburbs. Um, it took up two lanes in on the freeway in peak hour traffic. So the forty-five minute drive took him an hour and forty-five. <laughs> Big fine from the coach. He didn't make it on time. Um, I don't. Yeah, the, the, I can't remember how long. That but is the, so the, funny. the monster truck didn't last that Ron long. Ron Artest's first car is a monster, monster truck. truck. Yeah, it's <laughs> probably not the smartest decision, but it was. It, that's that's fine. That's great. That's what I love those memorable. stories. Yeah, yeah. They, you want those stories, and um, you know when you're around these players with such. I heard you speak about, and this is why you're doing such great things for the younger guys coming through. Um, you talk about all your money should be put away, and then you know live off your, um, your marketing and your deals. Um, but with all these big dogs that you've played with when yep. you were there and you've seen and you even now, it's just ridiculous amounts of money spent on silly shit. Do you remember yeah, any no. other ones? Any other ones in particular? One of Brian Gorgian's favourite sayings when we we went, walked into Seattle for the first time and Gary Paint Gary Payton walked past. He's like, <laughs> and he's got one. You know the big chains. Jewel, the chains they wear. <laughs> It's like shit. Gary Payton's necklace is worth more than my house. <laughs> you know, uh, but but that's what it is, and I just couldn't comprehend it. I, and I was the same. I'd, you know, I'd send. I'd. I actually got paid a little bit up front as part of my contract. I sent every cent home. Um, I won a bet. It was a, te- a game of tennis. So I won a little bit of money. I kept that and I spent it, and sent every cent of my contract home. And yeah, it's funny what you learn. It's <laughs> people ask me the best. Yeah, what, what's the best advice? And I say, get a prenup if you get married, because <laughs> as good as your investment advice is, if you get, <laughs> if you get divorced, you lose sixty percent. Um, <laughs> so that hurt my financial <laughs> aspirations. Um, but uh, it's it's probably one of the ones where of, of everyone that's been through it. I think Josh Giddy he's going to make a lot, a lot of money, and the advice he's getting from his parents and yeah, Daniel Moldovan's his age. And I think he's along those same sort of that same mindset. He doesn't spend his contract and he'll probably sign a 200 million US dollar contract on his he's next so contract. Good. Yeah. But his endorsements will go up. And the one hope I've got for Josh is always that he remains accessible. Um, he remains approachable. Um, and he continues to represent basketball in Australia and continues to come home to Australia. Um, he's done such great things and he tells stories about lining up to get the Melbourne Tigers autographs, like Andrew Gaze and these guys. But he's got a, he's got Gaze's autograph 12 times and Copes's autograph six times. And I think one, he talks about still drawing back to that and understanding that, you know, he, I'll divert for a second. The, the event we did with Josh in Sydney, um, the only negative feedback we had from the night in Sydney was a break in the middle of the event was too long, like the intermission almost. And we hadn't set up live music or anything like that. We had the, the elevator music sort of going on. It was meant to be 10 or 15 minutes while Josh signed some autographs. Everyone would go to the bathroom, look at the, the auction items and that sort of thing. But it turned out to be 40, 45 minutes to the extent where Luke and Shane Hill are like, you're going to start this thing up again? And we're trying and Josh is like, I've, I've got to sign every autograph. So, so Josh wouldn't go back on stage until every single person that lined up for his autograph he'd signed. It's the easiest sell when you get back on stage of all time. Sorry for the long delay, but Josh is too generous. Yeah, I, I, I'll always remember that and hope that he – it'll never be that because it'll be thousands and thousands of people, but I hope that 
he retains that sense of giving back that he's always had. It's just so good for Australian basketball. I think we've had, you know, Ben Simmons has been in the press as an Australian for a long time. And I think it's now, he's now kind of moved on because Josh Giddy's come on the scene and you've seen what he's been able to do. I mean, if you look at these stats as well, not that we care too much about stats, but when you see the names he's listed next to um, of the all time in what he's achieved so far, it's so good. And even like LeBron's, you know, record breaking night. Josh is right there next to him. Like probably could have guarded him if he wanted to, but he's in the photo. Talk about photos. Imagine yeah, when he's yeah, I mean, your yeah. age and he's sitting there going, I was there the night that LeBron broke the record. It's like he's done so much and he's only just started. Well, he's done so much of his own history breaking or history making yeah. um, or record breaking and history making. It, you know, youngest triple double. I, I was actually at Madison Square Garden. So Josh has only played there twice. He's, I think he's one of two players in NBA history to have a triple double in their first two games at Madison Square Garden. But for me, on top of all these individual ones, um, the Oklahoma City Thunder weren't meant to be very good this year at all. You know, a lot of people had them pegged as bottom three, bottom four. So for them to win a playing game on the back of Josh Giddy and Shea Gildas-Alexander, and you know, I wrote that you know, OKC, have, OKC Thunder have handed the keys to Josh Giddy, and a few people wrote back, they, they've handed them to Shea. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I get it. But Josh is a point guard. Josh is the guy who makes decisions. Josh is, Josh is the guy who moves the ball. Josh is, at some level, a guy who ensures that Shea is taking as many shots as he needs to. But they've invested in Josh long-term for their growth. And a, a little bit similar to Steve Nash, there were so many people, ask Josh if you ever speak to him, that when he got drafted, OKC went, who, what have you done? They weren't happy. And Josh will talk about draft night being were meant to be one of the happiest nights of your life. You finally got back to his room, got on social media and gone, shit. Oh, wow. Wow, that's no, no one thinks I can play. Um, ask him now. But, you know, what they've done already, I, I think they've fast-forwarded their club's development three or four years to the extent where because Josh is so good and because Shea's so good and because Josh is still on his rookie salary, I think they're in a space now. They've got a, so many draft picks they can go and get a superstar to put alongside them. And I think they need a, a superstar big or a superstar wing. If they do that, I think the, the the biggest compliment I hope we give Josh in a couple of years' time was he led an NBA team to the playoffs. And, you know, Luke was incredible, but clearly he didn't lead the Chicago Bulls. Bogut was incredible winning one. Clearly he didn't lead Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. Patty Mills, the same with Ginobili and Duncan. It's incredible that we've got NBA champions. Josh could actually be the first Australian to lead an NBA team to an NBA championship. That, on top of everything, the, you know, the historical, the data, the stats, I, I think that will really tell us how good Josh Giddy is. Yeah, it's good. It's it's great for Australian basketball and just being an Australian, isn't it? Absolutely. It's, and we're getting, as you see, with the Boomers squad, there's so many guns coming through. Are there any names out there before I go to our, you know, our sponsors? You don't know, come on here. And by the way, I know you've got to go soon. So we're no, going to do, okay. we could do, we're going to do 20 of these, I reckon. I could talk to you all day. Um, before we get to the sponsors, Milwaukee and Ricks, are there any young guns coming up that no one knows the name of, but you do? So we can oh, come there, back here yeah, and go, you're on the money there, big fella. There are some. There, Look, it's, I mean, Rocco Zakarski, so many people know about. He, he's the best under-18 kid in Australia now. He's he's seven foot two. He moves well. Um, 
good pedigree parents were both athletes. He's up at the COE. Um, What's the COE? Uh, the Center of Excellence, so the old AIS. Oh, AIS, um, they call sorry. it um, yeah. yeah. Um, but he's the best coming through. Um, it'll be interesting to see where Dyson, Daniel's brother Dash, ends up. There, you know, he'd be an incredible junior, and I'm not sure where he's at at the moment. I, I saw him play a few weeks ago up at the Nationals, and he probably wasn't where he was a year ago. My hope, he's certainly got potential to, to do what his brother's done if he gets to work, but... You know, I'd, I'd always, you know, one thing we never talk about when we do this is a girl side of the game as well, which mm. we're fortunate to have. So I won't go you with names, but I'll tell you off air, but there's, it's interesting. There's one girl who nobody knows about, doesn't make state teams, doesn't make national teams. And for me, is following in Josh Giddy's footsteps almost because Josh never made the under 16 Victorian teams. He didn't make the under 18 team as, Victorian team as a bottom age kid. Wow. So he got told he wasn't good enough to represent Victoria three years in a row. And so there's a, another one that I I just want to find out what they're doing. I want to follow her and I hope she does really well because there's a lot of people who are telling her that she's not good enough, but I just think she's exceptional. So there, there are a few floating around, but I don't like yeah. sort of naming them. And yeah, don't publish. put the pressure on them. Just yeah, yet. Wait exactly. they've established. <laughs> that was the one I was talking about. I'll write it down afterwards. Yeah, no, 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 no I believe you. Uh, man of integrity for sure. Uh, all right, let's go. I just remember, we've got some questions. So we'll just okay. do, we'll go quick fire here because I know we've got about 15 minutes left. Um, for anyone else, else wondering why I'm hurrying up, the great man's got something on after this and we've snuck him in. So who is your favourite teammate and why from CJ Dunk? Uh, I'll, over in the United States, I'll put Steve and Dirk on equal terms. Um, she's Daryl McDonald was someone I love playing with here. Oh, he, love watching him. He, he, you know what? He just makes people better. He, he made me better. I couldn't have been who I was without DMAC. The way he moved the ball, his handles, and the way he passed the ball. Just as a kid, I still remember it. Yeah, yeah. Well, when he when he played with the North Melbourne Giants, his story. Yeah, he made Paul Reza an M- an NBL Most Valuable Player in a Grand Final Series the year they won it. And Paul Rees doesn't create his own shot. DMAC creates his shots for him. And, you know, early when DMAC got in, he, he, Paul Rees would frustrate him because he old traditional move. So he'd just start throwing the ball at Paul Rees' head when Paul didn't know he was open, but DMAC did. So eventually he had to keep his hands up and he'd go and find him eight and 10 points a game. But even for me, we'd have that conversation going down the court. We'd just know. And he'd know where to get me the ball. I'd know how to get him space. We just had a really good working relationship as well as clearly off court. Looks like a good fella. Um, from Pup, he's been coached by some of the world's best, talking about yourself. Love to hear your top three, if not your best, your favourite coach, sorry, Brian, and why. Brian Gorgian by a mile. And it, it doesn't always come back to the X's and O's. It comes back to, you know, the old adage of it's, you know, you don't know how much, you don't care what someone knows until you know how much they care. And Gorge always cared about us as humans. Um, he was a master of, Seeing it, seeing a problem just beginning and nipping it in the bud before we even knew it was a problem. Um, yeah, even when I was going through the draft process, he called me up, and I respect him as much as anyone in the basketball world. Still to this day, well, it's no surprise he's the coach of the Boomer Squad, right. is it? And um, he called me up and said, "Make yourself issue this," and I'm in tears. I, I was out. I grabbed my bag. I was crying. I thought of all the people that, and I knew I wasn't. And. I said, the last thing I'm is that I've, everything I've done is to be here with the Magic to help us win championships. Last year, this year, I'm staying. I've told the NBA that I can't come until after the season. He's called me up in the office and told me I'm selfish. And I, I'm racking my brain trying to think when I could have possibly even demonstrated that or thought it. And so I've gone home in tears and um, John Dodge turns up on the doorstep later on that night. You can't big fella. And he bought a six-pack of beer. We just sat and we talked. 
And I bitched and I moaned and he said, you know, he's, he's testing you and da-da-da-da-da and he, he had gorgeous perspective and here's what he wants. And so I turned up to training the next day and I thought, I'll prove to you how unselfish I am. I, every rebound, I crashed the boards. I didn't take a shot. I, I made these incredible passes. And I got to the end of training. I thought, no, nah, shit, I know exactly what he's done. But even that, he knew I wasn't selfish, but he also knew he didn't want me to get there as the NBA thing grew. So even little examples like that, but He'd gone and given Dorji 20 bucks and said, you got to go to Ansi's place, take a six-pack of beer, sit with him tonight and drink. <laughs> like he's yeah. across he's yeah. across relationships like that that he fixes problems before we even know their problems. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a, it's like creating a problem and solving it just to test you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, you come and dominate yeah, the boards. Yeah. It's brilliant. That was from Pup, by the way. Um, Lee Smith wants to know who's the biggest name you took down in the NBA. Oh, I didn't take anyone down. <laughs> Jordan, can we say yeah, Michael Jordan? Jordan zero, no, we're, one we're, and zero, uh, one and zero. Oh. Michael Jordan the Bulls uh, <laughs> and the rest of them. The, the, the toughest was Shaq, the toughest opponent. We haven't spoken about Shaq. What, yeah. what, when oh, you walk out in the field it's just he's a monster and back then you forget how athletic he was you're seven foot two i'm seven foot he's seven, seven two foot. he's got probably 30 kilos on me he's faster he's stronger he jumps higher like, how do you deal with that yeah and then you put kobe Bryant alongside him you're like okay who do you help off and off the, yeah it, yeah he was these names you're dropping like do you yeah. sometimes reflect and go fucking hell i'm lucky yeah I, yeah i do and i, I probably appreciated just, you know, I wasn't daunted by it because I never grew up following it. Mm. So a lot of the names that everyone were drooling over didn't mean as much to me. Um, but like I said, guys like that by then do. But um, I'm in a situation now I was fortunate to learn from them. Yeah, it's brilliant, man. It's brilliant. How, sorry, oh, we haven't spoken about this because we don't have, we're going to talk about it the next time, but how close were you to switching coach? Because I've heard you could have played for Hawthorne <laughs> yeah, Footy yeah. Club and become a superstar yeah, ruckman or full forward or whatever. Um, and you also are a gun at tennis, which we've hardly touched on, but Dustin Fletcher actually was your doubles yeah, partner yeah, right here. Yeah, he was. Um, we grew up, for, played doubles for years. We went through a four-year block. We didn't lose a match. Um, that's a, that's pretty cool. But like, in all the big tournaments too, not just the little local ones, the nationals and the state titles. So you and Dustin Fletcher were like national champions yeah, for four, four years, years straight in, yeah. in doubles. Yeah. Um, That's pretty cool, isn't it? And the thing was, they never took us to the tournaments to represent Australia. They'd always take the two singles guys, you know, junior budgets and play them together. Like we beat them two in love. We beat them four and one. We beat, yeah. You know. And so that was a little bit disheartening for us then because we were clearly a better doubles combination than we were singles. We, we actually had, both had really good hands and clearly we're both tall and move okay. We're hard to get past on the net. I'd, I'd imagine yeah. monster serves as well, wouldn't you? But um, no, the footy thing was, we did, um, but the footy thing was the Titans had folded. You know, you mentioned Brad Sheridan and Gorgian before that period of the Titans was short-lived. Um, I was at the footy show for whatever reason in the green room and Shane Crawford, we'd been messing around, we'd had a couple of beers and he's Sort of slides on in. He said, look, so what I really wanted to ask you was, would you consider coming across and playing footy? I thought he was joking. And he, and I mean, I'd be, I'd, I haven't asked him this since, but he talked, I think it was Alan, was it Alan Jean? Not Alan Jean, who was coach. Um, anyway, back then, and he said, look, they've asked me to come and have a chat to you. Um, the Ruckman's retiring. Again, I can't recall who it is, but you'll probably know. Um, we need, I need a tap Ruckman. We need somebody who can just get their hand on the ball first, feed guys. I mean, I'd love to rove to someone who's got good hands and as tall as you. And, you know, I, I still think I move better than guys like Sandy Lands and those guys, but I'm taller. Um, I'm like, that sounds fascinating. So I had this Australian Boomers trip, a, a non-major event, but we played all, you know, the Yugoslavias, the real good teams. And I'd made my mind up. There's no Titans. 
I'm going to go play footy. I'm going to come home. I'm going to play footy. And again, maybe like the Bulls thing where I didn't care how I did because in my mind, I was just going to have fun because it was my last basketball tournament. I reckon I played better than I've ever played in my entire life. And all, I had all of these European offers come. And even still, I was Croatia, Spain. And I'm like, it's great money, but nah. And then this Russian offer came in. I'm like, oh, that's more than what I'll make. In a, if, if I played footy and played for 10 years, I couldn't make that in 10 years. Curious, it was a big, how big of an offer? Oh, a million Australian. Bang. Yeah. For so a I'm season. Like, I said I'd be stupid with a young family not to. And it's 2000. And This is 2002. Yeah. So, and then I ended up staying there three. I hated it for the first six months. I ended up staying there three years when I got used to it. But um, it was I was really, really close to coming back wow, and having so a go. you didn't dominate the boomers. You were playing. I would, I've always been fascinated to know how I would have gone. You would have been I, a I, new Paul Salmon. Well, they ended up signing Spider Everett um, instead. So they brought him down from, I think he was in Queensland at the time, whatever it was, but I can't recall what they were, but their hesitation with him was behavioral concerns, I believe, back <laughs> No, no, no this is what, I, again, it's not yeah. the clearest memory, but they, there was one reason that they balked at him a little bit. No, just going to take it. I would have been cheap, but no, you would have um, been very good. I mean, yeah, I played with Aaron Sanderlands, and wasn't he a star? Like he's one of the best ruckman ever. I'd imagine. Yeah, so much. all basketballers move well. They have got great awareness. That, we always you know, say we're used to operating in close spaces with big humans. Mm. So we, but um, my all I've done now in my football career is I played in two EJ Witten games, and yeah. I had a great time. And that that'll be it for me. There you go. What could have been? Oh, well, you played against Rodman and Jordan yeah. and Longley and all the rest of them. So, oh, that's a cool story. And next time you come on, I'm going to dive into that tennis, um, tennis days for sure. Uh, what? A few more questions here. We're going to get to the end. One more from Maxfield Agency. What oh, did go. you buy with your first NBA paycheck? Um, uh, nothing. I, I sent it home. I, I, I literally, quite literally, sent it home and invested it. Um, it was as simple as that. I, I leased a car, I leased an apartment. I, I didn't, one thing I knew was I didn't know how long I was going to be there for. So I didn't want to go and buy a house and then get traded six months later. So mm. I leased my house, I leased my furniture, I leased my car. You know, I did a few little things over the years, but I never had that extravagant. The, the nicest car I ever bought was a HSV Grange because it had the longest wheelbase, the most legroom. Yeah, but yeah, that, that, that's basic, as, isn't it? That's as extravagant as I got. I was going to say, you'd struggle to get in a car, wouldn't you, Van? I've got the old Kia Carnival now. They're fantastic. Everyone gave me so much shit when I bought a Kia Carnival. We throw camp chairs, tents, bikes. I've had my daughter's basketball team. It's what? such a social car. It's trashed. It's out the back. But, Mate, um, it's great. I got a- uh, So much fun. We had the Tarago. My old man had the Tarago. Terry, the Tarago growing up. We there used to go. throw all the boys in, go to the footy. And That's exactly what it is. It's just, it's a people mover. We're, we're, we've got eight of us in there tomorrow. We're going to the Trentham Footy Club. and going to watch a local footy and stay the night in Hepburn with a whole bunch of mates. Well, ah, brilliant. That's, it's just fun. You can just do it. Yeah. Oh, mate, you're, uh, th- before we wrap up, obviously, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for um, having me. Mate, it's been a pleasure. But as I said, you don't come on the potty without <laughs> going home with something, big fella. Like and you, uh, you're welcome anytime. Uh, this is Rick's eyewear, my sunglass brand. I, your sunglass brand. Yeah. Your sunglass brand. Yeah. yeah so, um, congratulations. Thanks, mate. So, yeah, obviously, anyone out there that wants a pair, head online at rickseyewear.com.au and use the discount code ACES. Mate, I've got you the Melrose Dark Storm. These are the green polarized lenses if you want to whack them on. I like it. Um, no doubt they'll fit you like a glove. No, absolutely they will. I like these. How they look? How are we going? Always ask me, mate. You always look yeah, good. No, yeah, what are you, you going <laughs> to say? They no, fit the, really the well. Like, I know you said you, <laughs> you were worried earlier. You can imagine the guy who owns a brand going, no, they look shit out. <laughs> what else are you going to say? They look podcast? elite. I'm very happy with yeah, them. No, it's very okay. tough when you're seven foot, obviously bigger head, but uh, they fit perfectly. Um, 
mate, this one's Rick's in retirement. So if you were to finish up. I have finished up. Yeah, but but properly. You're <laughs> yeah, still okay. mentoring. You're still yeah, grinding. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? You're, you're not done yet. But if you were and you, money wasn't an issue yeah. and the family was all supported by you, you could just put the feet up, take the Rick's Eyewear somewhere in the world. Where would you go? Where was the one spot Chris Anstey would like to take his Rick's and retire? You know what? I'll, I'll take... I'll, I'll flip the question a little bit because I get asked this a lot or the people ask the favorite place you've traveled to. And I say, you, you're asking the wrong question. Ask me who I'm going with. And, and it's, you know, I'd pack people up. I'd go, if money wasn't an issue, I'd pack up my best mates, my family. We'd go travel around for however long and just see places we'd never been. But if you have to put me on the spot and say, pick a place, if I was overseas, I'm going to go spend more time in Texas. I'm going to sit on a ranch. I'm going to live that life. Yeah, the Yellowstone lifestyle for a little while. Texas barbecue. My favorite food. I, we took a tour group over there. We they, I told them about it and they still exceeded their expectations. But you know what? I still love being home and my favorite place in Victoria at the moment is Bright. I love getting up to Bright and it's a beautiful little town. I love getting away from it. I, you know, I just love country towns. I love country pubs. I love sitting in them and having a beer and it was interesting when I was playing when I was playing in the NBA and a few people knew who I was and being seven foot tall, you're kind of recognizable. You walk around Melbourne and you get the dickheads and you get all the comments. You walk into a country pub and they just chat to you like another guy at the bar. They're good fellas, aren't they? So from from then, I've always loved country pubs. I've loved getting on the road. You tell me we're getting in a car tomorrow and going to a pub I'm in. I love the stories, love the people, love the travel, but I'll, I'll probably go to Bright at the moment, but I reserve the right to change my mind next week. <laughs> you know, I love that, mate. Thank you for your answer. And you've just given me a new idea with this segment. Instead of asking where you go, who you're taking. So let me just quick, while we're on the spot. Oh, you've never heard of any of them. <laughs> <laughs> who are two blokes you're taking? I don't uh, care if they're just mates, basketballers. Who would uh, be two we, blokes? We've got this group called the Grocery Store. Like we it's, <laughs> we all go to the Sporting Globe. We all watch sporting events. You know, Mark Worthington's one name that's in that group you've probably heard of. Mark Sainsbury, Jamie Stabe. Cam Rigby, these sort of guys are in the group and, um, we, yeah, it's a lot of fun. We, we get together as often as we can and nah, That's you'd, you'd, you'd package them all up, you'd bring your family, you'd bring theirs and you'd just take off. I love it. I love it. Well, mate, there you go. Rick's in retirement. Take your family, pack up, head to Texas, a little bit of a Texas barbecue and uh, away you go. Uh, that's, uh, yeah, again, anyone out there that wants to look like Chris, you've got the Melrose Storm on, uh, head, head online at ricksilo.com.au. Use the discount code ACES. And uh, you'll get a 20% off checkout uh, and free express shipping. This is like the old Ballantine's handball contest we're going <laughs> this is, yeah, Look at this. Exactly. You don't have to handle it. Rolling stuff out. You don't, you don't have to handle it. We, we do need to do this again. This is fantastic. <laughs> well, Milwaukee, they give new tools every time someone comes on. So we've got the Milwaukee tool here. What do we got here? We've got the pruning saw, uh, the tool only, the M18 fuel driven to outperform. That thing's a cracker. I'm not going to lie. That's, I'm, I was actually going to buy one of them. I've got a little project coming up. Oh, mate, and well, it was on my shopping list to buy a, a chainsaw or a trimmer. It's so well. There you, you go. Know, you friends. actually don't understand how valuable that is. That's oh, a, mate, we know how valuable. Me at least. <laughs> and we reckon the batteries. They reckon these batteries, the uh, the the supercharger starter pack from Milwaukee, they're a hot commodity. So right. you're taking that home as well, big fella. Now this one to round out the segment. Um, what is your Milwaukee tool handiest moment? In your career, what's the moment where you go, geez, if I didn't do that, I wouldn't have got there. That one moment that stands out for you. You know what? It's it's the very first one. I, uh, again, if you've heard, anyone who's listening has heard me, but my very first game of basketball was my younger brother played in a local team at Keelor Basketball Stadium, like a men's C grade, middle of winter, pouring rain. And 
he wanted me to fill in. I didn't know how many players he needed. You know, I'd never seen a game of basketball. And he said, we need five. I said, how many you got? I said, four. Right. Told him no. Um, mum made me. He asked me a few times and finally mum made me go and uh, and help my brother out. And, you know, it's feeling in your guts when you just don't want to do it. You f- I felt sick. I'm like, I don't want to do this. I don't know the sport. Anyway, I was in the car on the way up with every intent. You know, when your brother asks you to do something, you just dog it. Yeah, no, screw you. I'm not going to try. I'm just going to mope around. And so that was my plan. And halfway up the hill, I I just remembered thinking, oh, shit, I'm here now. I might as well try. It was the simplest thought I've ever had. And I got to the stadium and all trying meant for me was running because I didn't know how to play the game. But I stood out because I'm seven foot tall. And one of the guys watching his own son two courts down was a coach at the Melbourne Tigers. And he came across and saw a seven-foot guy who could run. If I'd have jogged and just moped around, he wouldn't have even wandered over, he told me. But the fact that he saw a seven-foot kid he'd never seen that could move, he invited me down to the Melbourne Tigers. I had no intention of ever playing another game of basketball. Wow. So that's, you know, I use that story all the time about people who kick rocks and can't be bothered getting up and doing shit. That that one day literally gave me a 25 years and counting basketball career. Unbelievable. That, that That is why we ask you the Milwaukee tool, handiest moment of your career, just running up and down suicides as a seven. How old were you? 14, 17? Uh, no, 17. And it was a you know, men's C-grade game playing against accountants and lawyers and <laughs> plumbers. You know, Surely you gave him a couple of big tomahawk I, I, I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing. I literally couldn't play. I was never seen a basketball, never touched one. Didn't know what I was doing. I scored oh. some, but they were all, well, your height. They had the little yeah, 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 six foot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're stiff of your five foot, aren't you, yeah, these yeah, days? Yeah, know, yeah. Six foot and you're getting tall yeah. small. Oh, mate, that's brilliant. Well, there you go. The Ricks and the Milwaukee, they're going home with you. And remember, everyone out there, um, we'll get the great man on here again. Quick tip for the NBA Finals. I know they're playing oh, right like, now. I still like Denver. Denver. Still like okay, Denver. and they're up. They'll play Suns as we're speaking. So, um, yeah, I mean, Jokic is so good. Quick one as well for me. Uh, if you could recruit one player on an NBA team right now, who is it? Josh Kitty. Bang. Love that. <laughs> and anyone else out there, make sure you head online. Again, I've told you about the Maxfield and Chris Ancy are presenting the All-American Events NBA Finals Game 1 Party. It'll be a cracker, whoever's playing. The teams that are left, there's so many guns. There's a couple of MVPs there. Um, and there's, you know, the day, as we said, there's there's so much going on from merchandise to um, the, the guests that are there. We just told you before, Luke Longley will be the massive guest who's going to talk about his three NBA championships and a few cracking stories untold. So head online to tickstar.com.au and use the discount code ACES at checkout for 10% off if you want to attend. I think there's a few tickets left, so jump on board and get them now. Mate, thanks so much for jumping on the potty. Thanks for having me, Tommy. Loved it. I'll see you. Um, I'll get you on soon, mate, because that was a lot of fun. And thanks to everyone that tunes in week to week. If you haven't subscribed already, please subscribe. Um, give us a follow and uh, let us know what you think. We'll see you on the next one. Thanks for listening to another episode of Tommy Talks, where you literally can't thank you enough for all your support. Speaking of support, Milwaukee's MX Fuel equipment system revolutionizes the light equipment market by delivering the performance and durability demanded by the trades. From the MX Fuel cutoff saw and MX Fuel sewer machine to the MX Fuel power supply and the MX Fuel tower light, MX Fuel has you covered. Without the hazards associated with emissions, noise, vibration, and the frustrations of petrol maintenance. MX Fuel, equipment system, equipment redefined. Righto, we'll see you on the next podcast.